Bear with me for a second. We'll let the, we'll let the kids migrate. And then um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians, uh, the book of Philippians. We've, we've been there for um, a while. We've been there for a few weeks now. And so um, uh, we're going we're gonna to keep on, keep on keeping on in this great book as we explore the gospel of joy together. So when I was a, a boy, uh, when I was younger, uh, I had a brother. I still have a brother, actually, so <laughs> spoiler alert. I still have a brother, um, and he's still 13 months younger than me. And, and we grew up uh, together. We were good buddies, you know. Growing up, um, my brother was my best friend. Um, but you know what? You know how brothers do. Um, if you have, if you grew up with a sibling. Um, uh, sometimes you didn't always get along, right? And I think that sometimes there's conflict, sometimes there's a little disagreement. And there were those times when um, my brother and I would have some disagreement, it's probably over Legos or G.I. Joe's or something like that, or, you know, worse, the worst of all was we're out playing, playing catch, and he does something I don't like, and then we just start throwing the ball at each other as hard as, we, you know, right? And um, actually, we got really good. <laughs> had to catch through a catch uh, by doing that. But there were those times when we'd get so angry and then we would just go at each other. My mom would, would hear the ruckus and she'd come out and she'd be like, what's going on? And we'd, be, we'd kind of stop what we're doing because the wrath of the brother is not as great as the wrath of the mother. And um, so she would, uh, she would get us together and, and we'd be upset and, and she'd be like, Michael, you're mad at Jeremy. Jeremy, you're mad at Michael. Well, why don't you just hit each other right now? Hit each other. Go for it. You know. And, and we would be so stunned by this, this reverse psychology, um, that inevitably um, I would end up saying, I don't want to hit my brother. You know, I don't want to hit him. He, he's my brother. And... Um, we grew up in a we grew up in a pretty healthy family. Uh, we learned right and wrong, um, but we had disagreements. We had fights. But at the end of the day, that reminder, your brothers, you love each other, don't you? Changed everything, and so did the story of Cain and Abel. You know Genesis chapter four, but um, that kept me from striking my brother as well. But the, the 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 passage that we have before us, Philippians chapter four verses one to three, and this this theme that I want us to explore today is relevant for us today, more relevant than I ever imagined. Philippians 4, 1 to 3 to be, the joy of Christian unity. Paul is writing to a church, appealing to them to be united in Christ. So let's look at that passage together. Let's look at that passage, uh, Philippians chapter 4. I hope you have your Bibles or your devices because we'll be, we'll be uh, looking at the details of this as we go. Um, but follow along with me as I read aloud. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia, 
and I entreat, Sintike, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be honoring, be praiseworthy, be glorifying to you, be an offering to you this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let me remind you again, Paul is writing this letter, this letter that only takes about um, 10 to 15 minutes to read through, but, but yet we take weeks and weeks to study through um, this short letter in the New Testament to a church that really hadn't been around that long. First of all, um, this is not a church of hundreds or a church of thousands. This is a relatively uh, poor church in, in a part of, of the country where, where um, it, to, name, to claim the name of Christ in, in uh, opposition to Caesar or to Rome um, meant you were a, a stark minority. Uh, this is a church that was formed when the gospel came to a wealthy businesswoman and her women's prayer group. This is, a, this is a church that was formed when a homeless slave girl came to Christ. This is a church that was formed when a career soldier heard the gospel, he and his family, and responded in faith. This is a church of diversity. This is a church that is, um, it has all kinds of different um, backgrounds and and. Uh, probably opinions and the rest. And God brought them together in this, in this church plant in Christ. You know, no matter what else, what else they disagreed about, they were united in Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. And as we've been reading through Philippians, we've been studying through Philippians, I hope you've noticed that Paul doesn't rebuke them, does he? Did, does, is he writing a letter saying, you guys got to get it together. You guys uh, have all kinds of problems. No, this is a church that was doing pretty well. This is a church that had been maturing, that had been growing, that had been healthy. But Paul saw something going on. He, maybe he heard the report. And he's concerned that they maintain Christian unity. Something that if they don't get a hold of, it's going to steal the joy of the gospel in their lives. So what I want to explore today is this big idea. That in the Lord, we have access to the joy of Christian unity. Remember, what did I say about this, 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 this church together? The, the, they're, they have all of these different backgrounds. They probably had all these kinds of different opinions. But no matter what else, they looked at each other and they said, we are in the Lord. 
We are in, the, in Christ. We have the gospel. We're brothers. We're family. So let's look at a few things. I'm going back to verse 1. We, did, we closed last message with, with verse 1 of chapter 4, but it's really a pivot verse. And so I wanted to look at that again in, in a new light and, and see, that, uh, this, see this principle coming from it. And that is that we have access, we have access to the joy of Christian unity as we stand firm in the Lord. So if you have your bulletins, there's some little spaces there, you can fill that in. The, the words there are stand firm. We have access to the joy of Christian unity as we stand firm in the Lord. Look again at verse 4 with me. He says, therefore, my brothers, now therefore he's referring back to what he just said. So if you remember last week, um, the, the message we looked at last week, he was calling them to a heavenly mindset, to remember that they're citizens of heaven, that their earthly Roman citizenship as people of Philippi um, was one thing, but what really set them apart, but what really defined who they, they were was their citizenship in heaven. And so he said, therefore, in, in, in view of that mindset that I've been telling you about, he tells them to stand firm in the Lord. Now, we looked at that last week, and, and we noticed that it's a call to perseverance, to holding fast, enduring. And here, I want to, I want to, to, to pick up on that idea, but, but show you a little more in detail of what they were persevering in, what they were holding on to. Look at the, look at the words that he uses to describe the Philippians. Paul uses the word, my brothers. He uses the word, or he says, whom I love, which incidentally, so like, it's the same word that he uses at the very end, beloved. Just, just translate a little bit differently. He says, they're the ones that he desires or longs for. It, they're his joy. They're his crown. They're his beloved. He has a view of his brothers and sisters in Philippi that is, a, is, is an example of Christian unity where we see one another not just as our, not just for our differences, not just for what we bring to the table, not just for our abilities, uh, not just for our uh, le different levels of maturity. I don't know if you've ever have ever looked at somebody and thought, well, that person's a mature Christian, and then you and you and you looked at another person, and well, he's not, he's got problems. Or if you're ever on Facebook, which is a den of iniquity, you will you will Amen. see, you will be on there, and you will see all kinds of 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 mythical uh, people. Um, people you don't recognize. People you wish you were like. They have names that are very similar to yours or very similar to people that you know in reality. But what you see on Facebook or Instagram or wherever else is a filter, right? And you go, how could, how could somebody's life be that good and that beautiful and that lovely and how come my life isn't like that? Well, that, that, is not what Paul is calling us to stand firm in. 
He's not calling us to, to look at one another and think about the differences that we have or, or think about what that person has that I don't have and the rest, etc., etc. That's not a heavenly mindset. That's, a, that's an earthly mindset. But to stand firm in the Lord requires us to see one another differently. We heard 1 Corinthians 13 earlier. And that, that passage echoed through my heart this, this week. It's a passage with all kinds of descriptors of what love is. And you know why Paul wrote that? He wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a passage of scripture for weddings. He wrote that because the church that he was writing to was jacked up. They were, they were a mess. They had all kinds of skills. They had all kinds of abilities. They had all kinds of talents. But they, they didn't know how to love each other. And so Paul writes that and says, this is what love is like. This is what you are not like. Challenging them to look at that and go, is that the kind of love that I have? For my brother, my sister. So he calls us to stand firm. It, it, it's, it's really an echo, um, interestingly enough, it's an echo of, of Paul's thesis statement in this letter. If you go back to, you can flip back to if you'd like to, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul in, in this one verse is, is stating his main reason for why he's writing this letter. Only, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm in one spirit. And Paul is echoing that right here in, the, in these verses. What are they standing firm against? It's, there's a battle going on. And I think he's using this, this athletic slash military um, uh, terminology to say, look, there is a conflict happening, and if you're not standing firm in one spirit, you're going to get destroyed. You're going to get annihilated. There is spiritual warfare going on. Have you felt it? Have you noticed it? Have you noticed it in your life? Have you noticed it in the River Church? Okay, a few nods. Yes! Yes! Cheryl and I could write a book about what we have gone through personally over the last four and a half years. How every moment, every, every milestone of our journey has been marked by spiritual warfare. The enemy coming against us. And us trying to stand firm. Sometimes not even standing, but sitting, kneeling, lying before the Lord waiting for him to do something that only he can do. And I've seen it in, in your lives, too. I've seen it. We've all experienced it. 
We're going through it constantly. The enemy is alive and active against us. Here we are in the midst of a, of a building purchase. I don't know if you've ever been um, a part of a church that's buying property. But um, if, you, if, if this is your first time, welcome to the battle. Because whenever you try to do something like that, it has to do with money, it has to do with, uh, with leadership or pastors or, or any kinds of big decisions, the enemy attacks. And he's going to attack your unity. Paul sees it coming for the Philippians. He said, it's coming, stand firm. It's like a church on defense. Remember about 10 years or so ago when the Seahawks were in, on defense? They were on a goal line stand against the Dallas Cowboys. And they were digging in because if the Cowboys, if the Cowboys kicked that field goal, that was it. The season's over for the Seahawks. The ball is snapped. The Seahawks, the, the defense <coughs> surges forward. They stand firm. The ball is snapped. It's mishandled. The quarterback's picked it up. He's running for the end zone. But they stand firm. They stop him. The game's over. They stood firm. They won the victory that day. Paul is asking us to stand firm. The Spirit is asking us to stand firm. It's the church on defense, if you will. Standing firm. Together. We look down the line and we see brothers and sisters that we love. And that's the enemy. Not each other. The enemy is the devil and his and his workers. The enemy is is the world and evil in it. That's the opponent. We have access to the joy of Christian unity as we stand firm in the Lord. But secondly, look at the second verse with me, because we have access to the joy of Christian unity as we agree in the Lord. He says, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche. If you have another pronunciation of that name, go for it. I'm just, I'm just making it up as I go. But what does he ask them, what does he entreat them to do? To agree in the Lord. It's an interesting word, agree, because <laughs> you might have an idea of what agree means. Um, in agree, um, Paul is not necessarily meaning that they need to agree on um, the, the color of the carpet, or agree on you know, the size of the, of the chairs in the, in the worship center, or agree on, oh, maybe even the style of music or uh, things like that. What is he asking them to agree in? The Lord. And the word agree uh, is, is, uh, occurs many times in this letter. Did you know that? Paul says in verse, chapter 1, verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. That's the, that's the same word. Why is it translated feel there and agree later? And then it's, it's translated, or and then we see it again in, um, 
in chapter 2, verse, verse 2, when he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. And in verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This idea of agreeing um, is the way we think about things, the way we process things, having our minds united together, thinking the same way about the Lord or in the Lord. That's a tough one because we don't all think the same way. We don't agree about everything. So at the end of the day, what do we do? We, we focus on what we have you, that unites us. We are in the Lord. We are in Christ. We, we love the gospel. Notice Paul here entreats you and He does name them by name. I, I got to think that maybe, maybe Eudodia and Sintiki, they maybe they were a couple of the ladies that were with Lydia down by, down by the river in her prayer meetings in Philippi. Maybe they were some of the original members of, of this little church. Um, they, were, they were there from the very beginning. Or maybe, um, better yet, maybe Yodia, she, she was there with Lydia, but uh, maybe Sintiki came in later. And uh, maybe the church is growing, and, and there's some growing pains along with it. And now Yodia's going, well, that's not how we did it at the beginning. And Sintiki's like, well, but this is a really good idea. Or, but I don't know why you guys have always been doing it that way. I don't know. I, I don't know. We don't know what the disagreement was. I mean, I'm just I'm speculating. But you can imagine the, the number of things, the infinite number of things that Christian brothers, Christian sisters can disagree about. Paul entreats them. He doesn't command them. He doesn't say, agree in the Lord. He says, I entreat that you will agree. He's pleading with them. The, the word entreat is, is to plead. Sometimes it means urge, but in this case, and you can see it, the, the love that is throughout this letter, the joy that Paul has, he's entreating them. He's not commanding. He's not ordering them. He's saying, my sisters, don't let your disagreement destroy your Christian unity. Don't let your disagreement steal the joy that you have for together in the gospel. He's calling on them and he's calling on us to agree in the things that are important. The things that are, that are most important. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good it is for brothers to dwell in unity. There's an Old Testament. Um, there's an Old Testament practice and old, or Old Testament um, uh, 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 illustration of of the kind of unity that God intended for His people to have. Not to be well. I'm of this tribe and you're of that tribe. Well, 
I am of the priestly line, but you are of the tribe of Dan. You guys, that's terrible. But to, to, but to dwell together in unity, they're one people in Christ. The, the, the context of Psalm 133 is they're worshiping. They're worshiping. As we do every week, we worship with one voice. We're united together. It's like when, um, it's like when the team and the Seahawks are in the huddle, and Russell Wilson calls the play, and there's there's a lot of stress going on. Things haven't been going too well. We've we've lost some games we should have won. Will we? What what's going to happen in this next play? In this next series? Um, are we going to get ahead? So. So Russell Wilson, he calls the play. And, um, and maybe one of the offensive linemen, maybe the one of the running backs, or maybe the one of the receivers, hears that play and goes, That's, I hate that play. It's like my least favorite play. I, and, and the ball's going to go to that person and not to me. Or you, So what do they do? Do they break the huddle? And they get on the line and go, well, I'm not going to really try this hard, that hard because this is not really my play. I hope not because that's not how teams win championships. What they do is they get in the huddle and they get the play and then everyone breaks the huddle. No matter what it is, they execute it 100% because they agree in something that's more important than the thing that they want or the thing that they have going on or the, the thing that they disagree about. This is the church in the huddle. And the quarterback calling the play. <coughs> what do they agree in? They agree in the Lord. They agree in the Lord. This is it. This is this is this is reinforced by what happens next. Because not only do we have access to the joy of Christian unity as we stand firm in the Lord, and joy of Christian unity as we agree in the Lord, but we have access to the joy of Christian unity as we labor together in the gospel. We labor together in the gospel. The word um, labor here in, in verse 3, when when. He, he asks um, his true companion to help these women. He calls on another one. He says, hey, you, you know the situation. You know the disagreement. I don't have to spell it out in this letter. In fact, everyone who's reading this knows what's going on. And they're probably going, oh, wow, Paul just, you, you know, sorry, Yodia, and sorry, Sintiki. And, and they're on the other sides of the, you know, they're on other sides of the, of the congregation. And... There's the true companion in the middle and um, the yoke fellow or, or, or Sigigus and he's being called to help these women and, and, and Paul is reminding him that these women have labored side by side with Paul in the gospel. And mentions Clement as well and the rest of his fellow workers in other words, everybody else present whose name is in the book of life 
They have labored side by side together. They've labored side by side with Paul in the gospel. They have been workers together. They have, they have focused on the message of the gospel. They have, they have preached it, taught it. They have done what they have done in the name of Christ together. And Paul doesn't want them to forget that. And the Spirit doesn't want us to forget that too. This word for labor is an athletic term again. It means to contend or to struggle. It, it's, it's the competition that we go through together. We're competing together on the same team. Back to Philippians 1.27. This is an echo, again, of Paul's, Paul's thesis statement to the Philippians. When he, when he tells them, he, he wants to hear that they are standing firm in one spirit. And then he says this, with one mind striving side by side. It's the exact word. Laboring side by side or, or laboring together or contending and struggling side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, the, the, the church on offense has a game plan. It's, it's that they are lining up ready to run the play that their king wrote up for them. Their, their coach wrote it up. Christ Jesus himself wrote it up. This is the gospel. This is the game plan. This is what it's all about. You need to strive together, labor together, contend together in the gospel. That's what it's all about. And no less than the saving of souls is at stake in that game plan. What does he say? He says, he, he, he brings in Clement and he brings in the rest of his fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Why is this so important for us? Why is it so important for us to, to recognize that we're to labor together, to struggle together, to contend and, and compete on the same side of the field, the same team in the gospel because souls are at stake. Lives are at stake because there are names that are not written in the book of life. There are people out there who don't profess Jesus. Now, I don't know, theologically or, or meta, metaphysically, if the names are written right now, we just don't know their names are written in. If you believe in in uh, Christ's or God's sovereignty and in electing and choosing His people, then there's a good chance that their names are already written down even though they haven't professed faith. But we don't know that yet. And we have no way to know that until they profess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that He raised Him from the dead. That's what's at stake in the game plan. This is the church on offense lined up, standing firm, agreeing in the Lord, ready to be on mission for Christ in the world. That's exciting. That's joy. The joy of Christian unity, nothing thrills me more than to think about our church ready with the gospel. 
we will disagree. We will have disagreements. We'll have painful disagreements. We'll have things that will happen and we'll think, I don't know if I'll ever recover from this. But we serve a great God. We serve a God who stretched out his arms and his hands and died for our disagreements. Died for our differences. Died for the, the sins that are in our hearts and our lives. Died to make a people to, to, to write names in the book of life. To, to defeat the work of the devil. To empower us with love for one another. So that his gospel can advance. That's exciting. That's exciting. That fills me with joy. And when I see it, how good it is for brothers to dwell in unity. There's nothing like it. To see that happening is joy. And to know that that joy is going to go on forevermore. No matter what happens today. No matter what happens in our midst. Or in our own personal lives. Christ standing firm for us. Christ thinking, using that word, if I may agree in the Lord, to think. Thinking about us. Having the mind of a servant. Being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For us. That's the message that we have. That's the gospel that we have. That's the gospel we labor together in. Today, let me exhort you in a couple of things. One is, put your, put your finger back in 1 Corinthians 13. Or tag that, or bookmark that, or something. Or jot that down in your notes. Maybe this afternoon, or tomorrow or this evening before you go to bed, you need to look at that passage and go, well, where? What is God saying to me? Where am I lacking love? What, what is, what, how, how do I need to apply this so that I can, I can, I can have access to that joy and Christian that, that is That is ours for us in Christ. Or maybe you need to heed the words of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 5, in that part of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, and if you're coming to the altar to, to present your gifts, and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Stop. Pause. Don't endanger your relationship with the Lord. Don't, don't, don't inhibit your worship. Get it right with your brother or your sister. And then in, in Matthew chapter 18 it says, Hey, if your brother sins against you, go to him. And, and point that out. 
And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Because you love each other. Because you're one family. You're on the same team. Do you need to do that today? Maybe you need to do that this morning. As we sing a song in a little bit. Or maybe you need to put that on your calendar and intentionally plan. I need to make that phone call. I need to make that visit this week. The joy of Christian unity is there for us in the Lord. I'm going to encourage you to take those steps towards Him. Today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you again for this word that you have given to us. Father, I pray God, that you will bring unity into our presence that individually, Father, as well as corporately. God, we are nothing without you. And and if we just are looking at each other in earthly terms and, 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 and looking at each other in purely, purely human um, terms, God, there's just, there's just too many differences between us. There's, there's too much that divides us. But in Christ, we are one family. We are one body. We are united together in love, in joy, for the sake of the gospel. Help us to remember that and hold on to that. To agree in the Lord, to stand firm in the Lord, to labor together in the gospel so that your glory would be all over the River Church and all over Moxie and Yakima and everywhere that we go declaring the good news of Jesus. And yes, for our joy that is in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.